It's so good to see you here, and happy Easter to all of you. Isn't it great to be able to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Amen. together? Listen, I just, I just flew back in from Africa this past Monday, and our team over there, we, we have a school over there, and we baptized over 250 students from our, from our school. Yes, yeah, awesome, it's awesome. I had the opportunity of speaking at uh, Christian Life Church, and there were probably about 5,000 people there, and it was just an amazing, amazing, amazing service. Now, listen, they are very expressive. They, when they worship, man, it is like, man, they are into it, and it is awesome. And so, listen, listen, I cannot come back from Africa where there's all this energy and, and come back to people like, amen, amen, amen. <laughs> So somehow or another, you've got to flip a switch, okay? I'm not asking you to go crazy. Don't get crazy. Not going to get weird. But, but you know what? Participate. Lean in. Okay, lean in to, to the message today. All right? Listen, let me ask you guys a question. If you could ask Jesus for one thing every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? If you could ask God for one thing every day for the rest of your life, what would you ask him for? Some of you would ask for wisdom. Some of you would ask for a bold and a daring kind of faith that would cause you to step out like you've never stepped out before. Some of you would ask for God's loving kindness. Some of you would ask for God's grace. Some of you would probably ask for God to protect your children and your grandchildren. You'd ask for lots of different kinds of things. And, and all of those are amazing things, and all of those are things for which I think you and I should thank God and, and ask Him for. But every day when I roll out of bed, I go to my knees, and one of the things I always ask Him for and I always thank Him for is for His mercy. I thank Him for His mercy. And I know He delights in giving mercy. And I'm so glad that He does because I know me, and I know I need His mercy. In fact, every person sitting beside you today, every person in this room, if you're watching online, every person desperately needs the mercy of God. And so I want you to just find somebody sitting close to you and say, you need God's mercy today. <clears throat> you need God's mercy today. And so today we are going to begin a series, brand new series, going to start it today on Easter. We're just going to call this, this series Mercy. And we're going to spend the next several weeks just talking about different aspects of God's mercy. I love Lamentations 3, and 23. It says, his compassion, it never ends. It's, the, it's the, only the Lord's mercies that have kept us from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His loving kindness begins afresh every day. His mercies are new every single day. And so this weekend, we're going to start talking about mercy, and I hope you will understand the mercy of God in a way that you've never understood it before, because once you understand the mercy of God, you will stop running from God, and you'll stop distancing yourself from God, and you will see God in a different way. This weekend, all around the world, millions and millions of people have gotten up at the crack of dawn for what reason? Why? Why would people do that? Why would people get up at the crack of dawn? Millions of people around the world today have done that. Because it was at the crack of dawn, the dawning of a new day, that Jesus walked out of the tomb. 
It was the dawning of a new day that Jesus literally defeated death and he changed the course of history. Of all eternity, he changed all of that. And so that story and that event we celebrate today is recorded in Matthew 28. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just a couple of verses. After the Sabbath, as Sunday morning was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And suddenly there was this violent earthquake. And an angel of the Lord came and sat down from heaven on the stone. And he rolled the stone away and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning. And his clothes were as white as snow. I would love to have been there to, to experience that. And the guards were so afraid that they trembled and they became like dead men. I mean, I would love to have seen that. And then the angel spoke to the women. You must not be afraid, he said, because you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And these next words are the most important words in all of Scripture. He is not here. He is not here. He has been raised just as he said. Somebody say, amen. amen. He has been raised just as he said. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it makes all the difference in the world. Why is Easter so important? Why do people go to church on Easter Sunday like no other Sunday of the year? Why? Why is the resurrection so important? Because it proves that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. It proves that what Jesus said was true. Jesus claimed to be God. You know, Jesus never claimed to be a good teacher. He never claimed to be a prophet, but he did claim to be God. And he proved it when he walked out of the tomb that day. And it changes everything. It changes everything. Jesus said things that only a fool would say unless he knew them to be absolutely true. He said things like, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except they come through me. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And these are things that a fool would say unless he knew them to be absolutely true. When he walked out of the tomb, he proved it to be true. It all happened on the dawn of a new day. And this Easter, I want to talk to you about a new day dawning in your life because the Bible says this in Luke chapter 1. A new day will dawn on us because our God is, and finish this with me, loving and merciful. God's number one characteristic throughout the Bible is his mercy. And when you understand the mercy of God, you recognize that his mercy heals broken hearts. It reconciles broken relationships. It restores forgotten dreams. It refreshes tired souls. And most people today, they don't understand the mercy of God. That's why they run from God. That's why they reject God. That's why they deny God. That's why they distance themselves from God. They don't understand the mercy of God, and they're afraid of him. But once you understand the mercy of God, it changes everything. All of a sudden, your peace increases and your anxiety decreases. Your faith grows and your fear diminishes. All of this, this happens. And so today, let's begin with a definition of mercy that we're going to use throughout this series. And here's the definition. Mercy is undeserved forgiveness and it's unearned kindness. That's what mercy is. And that's what God wants to give to you. He gives to us undeserved forgiveness. I do not deserve the forgiveness of God, and neither do you. I, I cannot earn his kindness. I cannot be good enough to earn his kindness. He simply gives it to me because he's a merciful God. You and I need the mercy of God every single second of every single day. The food you eat is because of the mercy of God. The air you breathe is because of the mercy of God. The, the water you drink is because of the mercy of God. 
Everything you need to sustain your life is because of the mercy of God. Your life is because of the mercy of God. And so what I want to do today as we start this series and as we celebrate Easter is is I want to share with you three stories of three people who encountered Jesus in a very unique and and, and special way where they, they, they came in contact with the mercy of God. And I'm telling you, every person in this room is going to identify with all three of these stories in one way or another, especially this first one. The first story helps me to understand that I need God's mercy when I've messed up and I'm ashamed. I need his mercy when I have messed up and I am ashamed. Now, let me just ask you a question. How many of you in this room have messed up? Raise your hand. Okay, hands are going up just about everywhere. Okay, the rest of you are either deceived or you're not playing the game or whatever, but that's okay. That's okay. How many of you have, I mean, really messed up? Raise your hand. I mean, really messed up. Yeah, you really messed up. All of us have. Now, Several years ago, I, I was like really messed up, and, and I had to have a long conversation with my wife, and it was a difficult season, and we talked about it, and I remember the conversation. I, could almost, I remember where we were standing actually in Lincoln City when we had this conversation. It was on a roadway, and I don't know if you remember or not, but it was on a roadway, and we were standing there, and I, and I asked her the question. I said, because I felt so bad about, about my own mess up, and, and I asked her, I said, have you ever messed up? I mean, please tell me yes, because I feel so bad that if you have really messed up, then I won't feel so bad. You know, it make me feel better. And, and she, you know, she was struggling a little bit to share some stuff that she would messed up with. She, she, I, I smoked a pack of cigarettes when I was in high school or something like that. And I'm going, man, is that it? And, and so... <laughs> And so I kind of forgot the, all of the conversation. And so actually just last night we were talking as we were reflecting over this, this conversation. And she said, you may not remember, but I told you this, this, and this. I said, oh, you, I, I'd forgotten that. You did. You really messed up. You really messed up. The reality is we all mess up. We all do. And, and we're ashamed of some things we've done. And so we're going to just kind of have a big confession, a mass confession right now. And I want you to turn to somebody that, that maybe you trust a little bit and just tell them some of the details of your mess up. <laughs> you're going, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that. And I can understand that. You don't want to do that because you're ashamed. You don't want people to know. You don't want. And so here's the question. And, and we have to recognize, too, the Bible is so clear about this. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. In 1 John, if we say we haven't, haven't sinned, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon says there's not a single man on all the earth. He, he always does what's right all the time and never sins. And in James, it says we're all stumbling in many ways. The Bible is so clear that all of us mess up. We do. We mess up and we're ashamed. But the question is, how does God deal with their mess ups? How does he deal with your shame? It's one word. Mercy. He shows you mercy. And so in the the Bible, in John chapter 8, is this amazing story. It's one of my favorite stories in the the New Testament. It's the story of this woman who was humiliated because she had been caught in in a pretty tragic sin. And then there were a group of people who wanted to humiliate her. And so the story goes like this in in John 8. Jesus was soon back in the temple again, and swarms of people came to hear him, and he sat down to teach them. And the religious scholars, the Pharisees, the hypocrites, Jesus, 
called them hypocrites because they, they, they were self-righteous and they were arrogant and they were prideful. They disliked Jesus and, and, and nobody else liked them and, and they were just kind of mean people but they had this, this religiosity about them. And, and so they led this woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They, they, they found her and they brought her and they stood her in plain sight in front of everybody. And they said, teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Now, Moses in the law gives us the order that such person should be stoned. In other words, capital punishment is what she deserves. What do you say? And so they were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so that they could bring charges against him. And so these guys are trying to catch everybody in something wrong. And and in this story, I want you to circle the words caught caught red-handed, and trap. Circle those words. There are two traps that are being set here. The first one is this embarrassed woman who is caught in a wrong relationship. And the second trap is one where they're trying to catch Jesus in a wrong response. Now, let me just pause for a second and ask you this question. A moment ago, you said that, that you've done something for which you are ashamed. How many of you have ever been caught? Which, by the way, you see the writing on my hand. You're probably wondering, what's that about? I'll tell you in a few moments. I didn't want to forget something. So raise your hand if you've ever been caught. You've ever been caught red-handed for doing something you shouldn't have done. It's embarrassing, isn't it? And you're ashamed of that. And, and that's the situation here. This woman's been caught. And so the question again is, how does God deal with this? How does Jesus deal with it? In verse 6, And by the way, I I don't know what you're caught up in. Some of you are caught up in, you know, because if I were to ask you, you know, what catches you? What traps you? Some of you would say an unhealthy relationship. Some of you would say it's a secret sin. Some of you would say it's an addiction. Some of you would say it's lust, unhealthy thoughts. I don't know what it is that traps you all the time, but this woman was obviously caught in a wrong relationship. And so what Jesus does is he bends down and then he wrote with his finger in the dirt. And it says they kept at him, they kept badgering him, and he straightened up and he said, the sinless one among you, you go first. You throw the first stone. And then bending down again, he wrote more in the dirt. Now, nobody knows what he was writing. Some scholars think maybe he was writing the Ten Commandments. You know what I think he was writing? I think he was writing the sins of the people who were accusing this woman. I, think, I bet he was writing words like judgmentalism which I'm not even sure that's a word. But anyway, I think he was writing hypocrisy. I think he was writing arrogance. I think he was writing self, self-righteousness. He could have even been writing tax evasion. He could have been writing spousal abuse. I'll bet you maybe he would, even would have written the words adultery because he probably knew some of those guys could even be guilty of the very thing they were accusing this woman of. And so he's writing this stuff in the dirt, and, 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 then, and then the woman was left all alone because it says that, that hearing this, they walked away one after the other, beginning with the oldest. Why do you suppose the oldest walked away first? <laughs> Probably because they had the most junk in their life, because the older you get, the more messed up you are, <laughs> and, and the more stuff you have going on. And I'll bet he started with the oldest writing their sins. And probably the younger ones were really, oh my gosh, he's writing the sins of the, these guys who are older and he's working his way down. And it's just a matter of moments before it's going to be me. And I'm going to get out of here before he even exposes my sin. And so, and so they, they walk away. And so now the woman is left alone. And Jesus stood up and he spoke to her. He says, woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? And I want you to notice something here. Jesus protected this woman's dignity. I love that about Jesus. 
He protected her dignity. I, I think that's a great example for you and me. If, if we follow Jesus Christ, you may not agree with everybody. You may not like everyone. But I think we have a responsibility to protect the dignity of every human being. And, and so Jesus protected her dignity. And so the woman answers, no one, master. And then Jesus says, neither do I. Neither do I. Go on your way, and from now on, don't sin. I mean, the only person qualified to throw stones that day didn't. And as I read this story, I noticed several things about Jesus. On the one hand, Jesus didn't condemn her, nor did he condone her. You know what he did? You see what he did? He invited her to change. And that's what Jesus wants to do for you today. If you come to Jesus with your most embarrassing moment, the thing that you're so ashamed of, he's not going to condemn you. He's not going to condone it, but he's going to invite you to change because that's what he wants for you. And so I want you to write this down. God's mercy forgives me and it frees me. God's mercy, it forgives me, and that takes care of all of my past. Every sin you've ever committed and every sin you ever will commit, he forgives you of that. That's amazing. Somebody should say, amen. 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 And then, his, he, then he frees me, and that takes care of my future. You see, a lot of people cannot get on with their future. They cannot possess what God has for them because they're still locked up in the past, in their shame. I see it happen all the time. They cannot get on with life. They cannot move forward. They cannot live in the joy of God because they're stuck in their past. And that's because they don't understand the mercy of God. And Jesus says, the reason I came was to free you from that. You want to know what I got written on my hand? Words that came out in one of the songs, man-made tombs. What man-made tomb are you living in today? What, what tomb, what, what grave do you need to run out of today? Because it's held you captive for way too long. For some of you, it's regret. For some of you, it's resentment. For some of you, it's envy. For others, it's worry. For others, it's an addiction, a secret sin, a secret habit. For some of you, it's lust. What is it you need to run out of today? So what does Jesus have to say about this? Look at this next verse in John 12. I have come to save the world not to judge it. I think that's so important. I am so glad that Jesus came to save me and not to judge me. Which again, by the way, that's a good insight for those of us who follow Jesus. My job is not to judge you. I don't, I don't stand in judgment of any of you. I don't, my job is not to judge you, it's to point you. To point you to Jesus. And that's your job. Not to judge people, but to point people to Jesus. I don't know what you're ashamed of, but let me show you how God responds in Psalm 86, verse 5. Oh, Lord, you are so good and kind, so ready to forgive, so full of mercy for all who ask your aid. If you'll come to Jesus with that thing for which you are so ashamed and so embarrassed, he won't scold you. He wants to save you. He understands your weakness. In Hebrews chapter 4, I love this passage. It says, Jesus understands every weakness of ours. Why? Because he was tempted in every way, just as we are. I mean, that amazes me that Jesus, the Son of God, was tempted in every way, just as I am. Yet, he did not sin. So whenever we are in need, we should come bravely with confidence before the throne of our merciful God. There, we will receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. 
I need God's mercy when I've messed up and I'm ashamed. Here's the second thing. I need God's mercy when I don't have what I need and I'm angry and I'm frustrated. There's a lot of angry people in the world today. There's a lot of frustrated people in the world today. And I think anger is a warning light that says you're either afraid or you're frustrated. And one of the reasons we are afraid and frustrated is because we've we've become so self-sufficient that we think we don't need God. And there's a lot of needs in your life that will never be met by anyone other than God because you don't have the wherewithal to meet your own needs. You don't. You don't have enough talent. You don't have enough ability. And on top of that, you have disabilities. You have physical disabilities. You have mental disabilities. You have emotional disabilities. That's the reason we fight each other all the time, because of the emotional disabilities and stuff like that. And bless you. And, and so all of these things. And so because of this, God wants us to learn to depend upon him. He wants us to learn to depend upon him, just like a good parent. I raised two sons, which, by the way, the drummer is one of my sons. And, and I'm a drummer wannabe. I play the drums through him. And so I, I know what it's like to raise sons. And, and I, I want them to have a certain sense of dependency upon me. Because as a father, I want to know that they still need me that they have confidence in me, that I will be there for them. I want them to know that. Your heavenly father desires for you. He longs for you to depend upon him. And so we see this story about this this guy, I call him the disappointed man. He's angry, he's frustrated. It's in John chapter 2. In the city in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, was a pool with five porches, and its name in Hebrew was Bethesda. And it says, many sick, blind, lame, and crippled people were lying close to the pool. Which, by the way, this crowd right here, we are the sick, blind, lame, crippled people. And we're the ones laying by the pool. And it says, beside the pool was a man who had been sick for 38 years. Let me just stop here for a moment and ask you a question. What unmet need do you have in your life today that's frustrating you? That's maybe even causing you to be angry. And if you can't think of anything, here's a couple of suggestions. Some of you might might think, man, you know, if I could just get married, then all of my needs would be taken care of. I'm waiting for somebody to go. (laughs) It's happening just about every service, okay? You know, marriages, as great as they are, were never intended to meet all of your needs. Some of you, if I could just get a better job, then I would be okay. So this guy, you know, he's disappointed, he's upset, he's frustrated, he's angry. He's been lying by this stinking pool for 38 years, and he's frustrated, and he's waiting and expecting someone else or something else to help him, and it doesn't, and he's frustrated because he's put his faith in something beside God. And whenever you do that, Whenever you put your faith in something other than God for things that only he can meet, you will be frustrated and you will be angry. And so what does God do with your disappointments? What does he do? One word, mercy. He shows you mercy. In in verse 6, it says, when Jesus saw the man and he realized that he'd been crippled for a long time, 38 years, he asked him, do you want to be healed? I think that's a very interesting question. I mean, you would think, duh, of course he wants to be healed. I mean, if I were the guy, I would think, Jesus, I have been laying here for 38 years trying to get in this pool, and you want to ask me, do I want to be healed? What kind of a question is that? 
I think this is very interesting because I think Jesus saw something um, in humanity that if he were to look at this crowd, he could ask you, do you really want to be healed? Because what I've discovered in working with people for 41 years now, I think it is, I started in ministry when I was 19, I'll be 62 this year, so you do the math. I've been working with people that long, and what I've discovered is people get very comfortable in their uncomfortableness. And they may think they want to be healed, but the reality is they don't. They've become very comfortable in their uncomfortableness because in order to be healthy physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, financially, however, means change. It means taking personal responsibility. It means stop blaming other people. And you see all of that in our world taking place today. And so Jesus asked him, he says, do you want to be healed? And, and the man answered in verse 7, he says, Lord, I don't have anyone to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. He's blaming others. I try to get in, but somebody always gets there first. He resents the success of other people. And so where are you trying to get to in life? What's your goal? What's your dream? But somebody's always beating you out. Somebody's always getting there before you do. And if you can't think of an answer, let me give you some suggestions. Some of you might be thinking, you know, why did he get that promotion? That should have been mine. Why did she get engaged? I'm better looking than she is. It should have been me. How come they're having a baby? We've tried for years. I mean, it's possible to go through life blaming and resenting others because that's what this guy does. And so how does Jesus respond to this? How does he respond to our anger? How does he respond to our frustration, our disappointment? One word. Mercy. It's mercy. You see it in, in, in verse 8. Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. And right then, the man was healed. And he picked up his mat and he started walking around. Can you imagine that? This guy's walking for the first time in 38 years. Now, let me pause here for just a moment and say, you know as well as I that today... Every prayer is not answered, and every person is not healed. I don't know why that is. I don't know why God chooses to heal some, and he doesn't heal others. I, I, I pray for some people, and they get better. I pray for other people, and they die. So you have to take your chances. <laughs> but I, I don't know why. You, you have to ask. I, I want to ask God. You know, why is that? People, people ask me all the time, why doesn't, why doesn't God, if he's so powerful, why doesn't he just remove all this evil that's in the world? He could do that. He really could. God could do that. But in order to do it, he would have to take away from you and me one of the greatest gifts he's ever given to all of us. You know what that gift is? The freedom to choose. The freedom to choose. And so the reality is we live in an imperfect world because I know many godly people, good people, great people in this church who live with chronic pain or some kind of physical disability or something, and they're going to have to deal with it and manage it for the rest of their life. And so there are cases where God heals and there are cases where he doesn't. But what I've discovered for those who understand the mercy of God and they put all their trust and faith in him, he gives them the supernatural ability to deal with it. I've seen some atrocious situations happen to people in this church. And you wonder, how in the world are they going to survive this? 
And I watch their faith grow so strong. I mean, it's like I stand in awe of them. And I wonder, I wonder, could I have that kind of faith if that happened to me? And so write this down. God's mercy makes the impossible possible. He may not remove the problem or the pain, but he'll give you the supernatural strength to deal with it. I need God's mercy when, when I don't have what I need and I'm angry. Now, let's go to the last one. I need God's mercy when I'm fearing death or when I'm facing death and I'm afraid. When I'm facing death, if I'm fearing death, and I'm just afraid. A lot of people are afraid of death. I don't know if you are or not, but I've looked at several lists of what are the top fears. And on multiple lists, it showed that death is the number two fear that people face today. Second, what do you think number one is? Public speaking. Yeah, that's what they say. Everybody says public speaking is, is like the number one. That's even fluctuating now. But I can, I can understand that. I don't like public speaking. In fact, when I, every Sunday, my hands are cold. Okay, if you want to feel my hands right now, they're cold. It's because I don't like public speaking. Go figure. And, and, so, and so, which by the way, if public speaking is number one and death is number two, that means that if you ever go to a funeral, you'd be better off being the guy in the casket than you would be giving the eulogy. <laughs> And so I guess I'm going to die with cold hands because either way, they're going to be cold. And, and so, but, but I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of death because I know Jesus defeated death and I put my faith and trust in Jesus. And so he, there's a whole lot more in store for me on that side than it is on this side, as good as this is. And, and so I'm not afraid of that, but a lot of people are. And, and if, if you've not made your peace with God and if you don't, receive the mercy of God, that's going to be a fear that you're going to deal with to some degree, and it's going to eat away at you until the day you're on your deathbed. And so the Bible says you better think about it. In fact, Solomon in Ecclesiastes 7, he says, it's better to spend your time at a funeral than to go to a party. I mean, if you had a choice to go to a funeral or to a party, which one would you go to? Sure. Nobody's going to say, oh, let's go to a funeral. That sounds like a lot of fun. You know, nobody's going to do that. But, but he says, you better go to a funeral. Why? Because the living need to take note of the fact that one day you're going to die. And so in, in Luke chapter 23, it's the story of a dying man. You remember when Jesus was put on the cross? He was crucified between two thieves, right? And so this guy is on the cross. And, and in Luke 23, it says, one of the criminals being executed on the cross beside Jesus was ridiculing Jesus. He says, if you're supposed to be the Messiah, then why don't you save yourself? And while you're at it, save us too. And you notice Jesus didn't save himself. And, and he wasn't going to save himself because Jesus did not come to save himself. Jesus came to save you and to save me. It, it wasn't the nails that kept Jesus on the cross. What kept Jesus on the cross was his mercy for you and for me. He took his, our, our punishment on himself. And so now the second criminal, he looks at this guy and he rebukes him. And he says, man, don't you even fear God when you're dying? I mean, we deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He says, hey, buddy, don't you realize the serious situation that you're in? In just a few moments, you're going to face God and you're ridiculing Jesus, the son of God. And in fact, the reason a lot of people disrespect God and the reason a lot of people reject God and the reason a lot of people want nothing to do with God is because they have come to believe that this life is all there is. They think that when they die, that's it. They've come to believe that. And so they have no need for God. 
But when Jesus walked out of the tomb, he proved to us in no uncertain terms that there is life after death. And you're going to spend a whole lot more time on the other side of the grave than you are on this side of the grave. My mom turned 98 years old this past Wednesday. And on the way to Africa, uh, on the way to the airport to go to Africa, my wife and I sang happy birthday to her on the way. And, and she's 98 years old. She'll probably make 100. And I'm going to make 100, by the way. And so if 98 years you know, represented this point in time right here, how much do you think eternity represents? I mean, if I had a, a thing of rope, which I do, but I don't have time to do it, and had it stretched out, it would stretch out this curtain, out that door, and down 172nd Street as far as you could take it. In other words, you're going to spend a whole lot more time on the other side of death, on the other side of the grave, than you are on this side. You see, death is not the end. We've come to believe that death is the end. It is not the end. It's only the beginning. And until you see it that way, you're going to fear death. Because Jesus says, for those who receive the mercy of God, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. As great as my life is right now, it doesn't even compare to what God has for me in eternity. And so this guy, he, he, he turns to Jesus, this thief on the cross, this thief on the cross, he is absolutely without hope. And he throws himself on the mercy of God. And this is what he says. Jesus, he looks at him and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked back at him and he said, I guarantee you that today you will be with me in paradise. That's the shortest salvation prayer in history. Remember me. You talk about last minute mercy. You talk about getting in by the skin of your teeth. This guy was a thief, but at least he realized who was hanging beside him before he stepped into eternity. And he threw himself on the mercy of God. Now, some of you could be sitting here thinking, wow, if I play my cards right, then I could kind of live like however I want to. And, and, and on my dying breath... I'll say, Jesus, forgive me. I've got, in all humility, I've got one word for you, well, a sentence. I've got one sentence for you. You're an idiot. <laughs> and, and I honestly, I, I, I don't mean that to be cruel or to be mean. I'm just saying it's just foolish. It's foolish. It's stupid. It's foolish to even think that. It's illogical. Jesus died so that you could have abundant life today and so that you could have eternal life with him when you die and enter into eternity. And besides, you don't know. In a crowd this size, in a crowd this size, some of you will be dead next year, this time. Happy Easter. <laughs> I, I, it happens all the time in this church. This church is pretty large now. And it just seems like every week somebody enters eternity. Could be you. And so my prayer for you is, is that you would just say, Jesus, remember me. If you've never accepted Jesus, that you would do that. You would accept Jesus today. Write this down. God's mercy will save me for eternity. God's mercy will save me for eternity. 
This is, this is what Easter is all about. John chapter 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, will live again. So what's your next step? You just ask. You ask. Acts chapter 2 verse 21. Anyone who asks for the mercy of God, for mercy from the Lord, shall have it and shall be saved. My prayer is that you would say, Jesus, remember me. Here's God's message to you this Easter. It's the last verse on your outline. In Isaiah chapter 30. The Lord God is waiting to show you how kind he is and to have mercy on you. The Lord always does what's right and he blesses those who trust him. My question is today, will you trust in the mercy of God that's demonstrated to us in his son Jesus Christ who defeated death and walked out of the tomb? I'm going to ask if you'd bow your head today. And as I do every week, I get the incredible privilege of inviting people to respond to Jesus, say yes to Jesus. And so if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, and that's your desire today, I'm going to give you a moment to do that by repeating this prayer. If you've ever made that decision, I want to invite you also, if you would repeat this prayer. It's going to be a very simple prayer. If you want to be saved, if you want Jesus in your life, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, forgive me. I believe in you. I ask you to be my Savior and Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen.